1: Um with me. That the word of God says it, I believe it!
0: And that's the way it is. And now here is Janet Mefford. Jesus was a socialist. How many times have you heard that claim? I've heard it a lot and with increasing frequency. Now, writing at the Huffington Post a few years ago, Occidental College professor Peter Dreyer affirmed that statement, writing this The idea of Christian socialism has a long and proud tradition. As capitalism emerged in the mid 1800s, many of its fiercest critics based their ideas on Jesus' teachings. But trying to label Jesus as a socialist doesn't work, either when you consider what socialism actually is or when you closely study what Jesus actually taught in the Bible. We're going to talk about it all today with economist and historian Lawrence Reed. He is president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and millions have watched his Prager University video, Was Jesus a Socialist? And today we're going to be talking about his latest book, Was Jesus a Socialist? Why this question is being asked again, and why the answer is almost always wrong. I love that. So good to have you here, Lawrence. Thanks for being with us.
1: My pleasure, Janet. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Well, you say you actually first heard this claim that Jesus is a socialist 50 years ago. I mean, that's a long time to have to deal with this annoying phrase.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. I wish I had written this book uh, 50 years ago. Yeah,
0: I'll <laughs> bet. But, you know, we, we've we all seen that post-Cold War, you know, the, the socialism is gaining ground in the United States. You see these polls with millennials and younger generations of people saying, oh, yeah, socialism sounds like a, a great system. How prevalent would you say that the claim is right now, that Jesus was a socialist?
1: Oh, I think it's uh, very prevalent, becoming more so. Uh, so in that sense, uh, the book is, is timely. But I hear it uh, these days more than ever before. And if you uh, just survey the internet uh, briefly, you discover lots of claims uh, that Jesus was a socialist, even though There's nothing uh, that could be further from the
0: truth. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're talking about socialism, we have a definition of socialism that needs to be the working definition, but then we probably have a definition of socialism that they might define a little differently. For terms uh, using the right terminology and using the word in the right way, what is the definition of socialism that you think we ought to be working from when we're answering this question, was Jesus a socialist?
1: Well, socialists may not like this definition, but I think it's uh, the only one that really makes sense. It's the concentration of economic power, political and economic power, to achieve uh, central planning of the economy or government ownership of property or the redistribution of wealth. That's what it ultimately always comes down to.
0: Yes, but Jesus never advocated for any of that, so shouldn't this be a simple <laughs> shutdown of this question?
1: <laughs> well, you'd think so, but uh, socialists are constantly misreading uh, the words of Jesus, the parables that he told that uh, pertain in some way to economic matters, uh, the way early Christians lived and, and the meaning and implication of that. They are constantly uh, misinterpreting uh uh, the Bible. I don't think they really uh, typically read it very carefully.
0: I would agree with you there. What are they generally saying? What's the general argument put forward to try to prove that Jesus was a socialist? What are their best arguments?
1: Well, they like to begin by saying socialism is a system that involves uh, caring and compassion. Uh, it's, uh, it does good things for needy people. And then they go on to say, well, that's what Jesus advocated. Uh, But of course, it's how you do it, how you get the job done that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, If you get it done through uh, voluntary interaction, through peaceful exchange, through uh, people helping people without uh, the introduction of compulsion or or force in any way, well, that's not socialism. Uh, The idea of socialism is to get these things done through the force of law, through compulsion, through government.
0: Right. I was going to say, anybody who believes that socialism is about caring and compassion clearly has never visited a socialist country or read anything about a socialist country. Because can you think of a socialist country that actually exhibited more caring and more compassion by implementing socialism?
1: No, not at all. In fact, every one is a disaster. And the few places where they have enough socialism that some people claim they're socialist countries, it turns out that uh, the success that those places have is not due to the socialism they have, but to the capitalism they haven't yet destroyed.
0: interesting, so are you talking about places like Scandinavia?
1: Yeah, and they are much freer, uh, more capitalist than people like Bernie Sanders and other socialists uh, understand They're, they are so hopefully out of date uh, when they claim that those countries are socialists. I've got quotes in my book from. Scandinavians including the Danish uh, prime minister who's saying stop calling us socialists we are a market economy yeah. and in fact they are uh, a- among the top 30 countries in the world today for economic freedom they had welfare states and a lot of socialism but about 30 years ago because they were fed up with it they be- they began to unwind all that and they're much freer today
0: Well, that's that's an interesting point and an important point when you're talking with people who try to say Jesus was a socialist. So let's talk a little bit about some of the passages because you do a great job in your book of unpacking some of the actual passages of Scripture that people will point to to try to prove that Jesus was a socialist. And I thought of this one too. You mentioned it early on in your book, but Acts two, where they talk about you know all coming together as one and they sold their property and possessions and were sharing with all as anybody might have need. This is talking about the early church, but it seems that one would immediately fall apart because, A, it was voluntary, and B, it was the church. It was not the state making them do it.
1: Exactly, and, and more to the point as well, uh, it was not something that Jesus ever advocated for all Christians to do for all time. Right. Uh, it, it, so it was descriptive of a group of early Christians, but it was not uh, prescriptive for all of us for all times.
0: Which is important, but why do people keep going back to that passage when it's so easily seen when you actually read it? Does it go back to the fact that they yeah. don't like to read the Bible?
1: Well, many of them, I think, are, are superimposing their political beliefs onto the Bible. And if they really searched their hearts, they'd realize that maybe they're prioritizing their political agendas uh, agendas over the uh, actual message of the New Testament. When you read it carefully, uh, you don't come to these sweeping socialist conclusions, whatever, even the parables that Jesus told, uh, to the extent they have economic content, they are supportive not of socialism, but just the opposite.
0: Well, right. And I think of the Old Testament, when you look at the commandments, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, doesn't that imply private property? How could it not?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I, I always uh, tell audiences that they should take note of the fact that there's a period of after thou shalt not steal, hmm. and thou shalt not covet, it does not say thou shalt not steal unless you are really convinced you could spend it better than the guy who earned it, <laughs> or thou shalt not steal unless you're uh, unless you get a politician to do it on your behalf for a worthy cause it's thou shalt not steal period
0: yeah. And that's an important point because you talk also in the book about this really being about envy. And and isn't that really the root of what is driving socialism? People who want what somebody else has, but don't want to necessarily earn it themselves. They want the government to compel people to hand over what belongs to them so other people can enjoy that, but they don't have a legitimate right to that.
1: You're absolutely right. And uh, Jesus himself was approached by a man. This is in uh, Luke 12 uh... who wants him to redistribute the wealth he says to jesus master speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me and jesus's response uh... was very uh... anti-socialist he, he did not say well yeah maybe we should divvy up the wealth a little differently instead he rebuked the man for his envy hmm. and he said something i wish every socialist would someday uh... uh actually say he said Man, who made me a judge or divider over you?
0: Wow. Yeah, that is what the Lord said. Well, he also said, be, be on your guard against every form of greed. So it's envy, but also greed, meaning I want what's... And I mean, that kind of ties in with coveting as well. I want what is not mine. I want more.
1: That's right. You're, you should be counting your blessings, not the other guys. And uh, Jesus many times warned against uh, allowing the temptations of money uh, or wealth uh, to uh, to get to your heart or to your character. He was not anti-wealth per se, uh, but he did warn that just like things like power, uh, you can take anything to an extreme and allow it to rule you instead of the other
0: way around. That is a really good point. Well, there's a lot more to get to because we want to talk about what Jesus said in particular about money and also about rich people. That's something that a lot of these leftists like to bring up. Was Jesus a socialist? Lawrence Reed with us. We'll come right back on Janet Mefford today. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as 199 dollars per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 565 Six five twenty five sixty one. That's eight five 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 six five twenty five sixty one. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org dot org slash jmt. That's Libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. What happens when an abortion minded woman sees her baby's heartbeat for the first time? Here's how a nurse describes the power of ultrasound. When she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment. That just broke her, and she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Then we were able to share the gospel. Sometimes we were able to give out a Bible if they're open, and just minister to her the scientific truth and God's love. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound just an incredible tool. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. One ultrasound is just $28 or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? Call now 855-402-BABY 855-402-2229.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford Today.
0: And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Was Jesus a Socialist? It's the name of the new book by Lawrence Reed, why this question is being asked again and why the answer is almost always wrong. I I got sick a long time ago of people trying to paint Jesus as a social justice warrior, Lawrence. (laughs) And you've done as good a job as anybody of explaining why this is just ridiculous, this claim. But, you know, you were talking about Luke 12. And, and you know, this is such an important thing for people to understand. When people are Supporting socialism and trying to get Jesus To fit into their socialism ideology They're ignoring a lot of these specific Passages and you had mentioned that Jesus Confronted, you know, came, came in contact With this man who wanted him to redistribute The wealth and Jesus shut him down What about the workers in the vineyard This is another important passage from Matthew Chapter 20. How does that fit into This argument that Jesus certainly was Not a socialist?
1: Yeah, this is A great story. Uh, one of Jesus's uh, uh, Best parables In, in my view uh, he talks in this parable about uh, a man who needs to bring his, his harvest in, his grapes, uh, and so at the start of a day, he hires some workers and agrees to pay them a denarius, and then as the day wears on, he discovers, hey, I've got to get more people I've got uh, to bring the harvest in, so he hires some more around noontime and offers to pay them a denarius just for working the balance of the day, and Very late in the day, maybe with an hour to go, he hires uh, the final group of workers. They're only going to work maybe an hour or so, but he offers them the same rate of pay at denarius. And then uh, later, the workers all together, and you can imagine uh, the ones who worked all day for the same that – the latecomers got for an hour of work, they start saying things like, uh, this is not fair, we should get more. (laughs) And Jesus has the uh, owner of the vineyard responding by saying, it's my money. (laughs) Didn't I give you what I promised? Didn't you get what you agreed to be paid? Uh, Get out of here. Basically saying, look, uh, I didn't deceive anybody. I paid everyone precisely what I promised them. And at, In my mind, this is not only a defense of the right of voluntary contract and private property. I think it's also uh, in support of supply and demand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> sometimes,
1: sometimes late in the day, you've got to pay a premium to get people to uh, come back out to work.
0: That's a really good point, and it would seem that it would be hard to look at this passage and say Jesus would have been in favor of a $15 minimum wage for everybody as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was all done in uh, peace and voluntary uh, contract. There was no coercion involved and no state involvement either.
0: That's great. Now, the parable of the talents is another one that you point out. I think that's also a great passage in Matthew chapter 25. How would this one back up the claim that, in fact, Jesus could not be a socialist?
1: Yeah, you'd never have a socialist tell a parable like this one, (laughs) uh, the way Jesus tells it. Uh, He talks about the uh, uh, man who leaves his estate for a period of time, and he entrusts three different people with uh, each one gets a portion of his estate or his wealth. And he says, when I get back, I'll check with you to see what you've done with my money. And when he comes back, the first man says, well, you'll be happy with me. Uh, I uh, buried it in the backyard, and so I have just as much for you now as you entrusted me with. And Jesus has the man in the parable then uh, 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 criticize the first guy. He says, what, you didn't do anything with it? <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Then he goes to the second guy who says, well, you'll be happy with me. I magnified your wealth. Now I've got two or three times what you entrusted me with. He gets praised. And then the third guy says, well, I did even better. I've, I've made it into four, five, six times as much. And in the parable, Jesus praises that one the most And actually says we're going to take the money from the first guy and give it to the third guy because he knows how to create wealth
0: yeah yeah well there it is I mean it's just in black and white for people to read or or red letters as the case may be (laughs) (laughs) but that's I mean these are all such great arguments and all you need to do is go to Scripture and read the passages that you've outlined in the book so people can see for themselves but on this subject of wealth and money and what Jesus said about rich people how do you make the argument against these people who say Jesus was a socialist because he was against the rich? What's a good response to that?
1: Well, Jesus never advocated a tax hike. He didn't talk about such matters. He was more interested in your uh, heart than he was your bank account. He never condemned rich people per se. Uh, he uh, stayed at their homes, in fact, in, in, uh, multiple, on multiple occasions. Uh, he drove the money changers from the temple, and some people say, ah, see, money changers, that's that's wealthy people's stuff, uh, therefore he must be against them. But keep in mind, he never drove a money changer from a bank or from a marketplace. He drove them from the temple for the same reason uh, if you showed up at a funeral with a kazoo and started playing Happy Days are Here Again— He'd probably drive you from the funeral home. Uh, These are things that are uh, best done someplace else. And uh, so he was basically sending the message that uh, do not defile the house of God, a holy uh, house of worship. So he was not against uh, riches per se, but he did warn that riches, just like power, Uh, earthly political power uh, can be tempting. And if you're not a person of character, you may succumb to those temptations.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, the thing that strikes me as really odd is a lot of these people who are advocating for socialism now who've never lived in a socialist country or maybe even visited one seem to be unaware of how socialism actually plays out in reality. And I was looking at this. It's actually an article from the Christian Science Monitor in 1981. It was describing the Soviet Union under Brezhnev as a society of privilege and status, just as czarist Russia was before it. Those closest to power have the most rank and privilege. Those at the bottom have least. And the gaps between top and bottom are astonishingly large for a society that aims ultimately to eliminate class differences. So what about just your experience as an economist? What about socialism being disproven just by the fact that economically it doesn't work and it doesn't deliver on its promises?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. The track record of socialism is awful. Uh, There are two indexes that anybody can look up uh, for free online, uh, produced each year by two different outfits. Uh, One is called the Economic Freedom of the World Index. The other is the Index of Economic Freedom. And they show year after year in ranking uh, all 180-plus countries of the world that the countries that are economically freest, you might say that's a rough approximation for most capitalists, uh, they are uh, the ones where people are doing uh, uh, the most, creating the most wealth. They live at higher, higher standards of living. And at the other end of the scale, the socialized countries are invariably the poverty stricken. Yeah. Just look at the flow of foreign aid <laughs> yeah. from governments to governments. I mean, they, that typically goes from the more capitalist countries to the socialist ones. We're always bailing them out.
0: That's very true. That's very true. You know, it's interesting when Jesus talks about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's another one that they like to bring up to say, see, you know, Jesus's view of government have, you know, was more of a socialist mindset. How do you debunk that one?
1: Yeah, socialists love to point to that. Uh, and sometimes they even suggest that this is a sort of blanket endorsement by Jesus of anything that Caesar wants to seize or take, uh, no matter how he chooses to do that and no matter what he spends it on, I mean, how absurd uh, would that be? How would that be consistent with everything else Jesus had to say? Yeah. The, uh, the real fact is he was offering a clever reply to the Pharisees who were trying to trick him into saying something that sounded like tax evasion <laughs> so they could run to the Roman authorities. Uh, he left it up to us to decide what belongs to Caesars. Maybe nothing does. <laughs> yeah. and That certainly is an option.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, when we're talking about true compassion, what is true compassion from your standpoint? Because clearly there is a lot in the Bible about being generous and being compassionate and caring for the poor and all those sorts of things, but not under a social justice headline. How would you explain that to somebody who's just confused about what the Bible actually teaches?
1: Yeah, true compassion, by definition, in fact, going back to the very root of the word itself, is very personal Uh, And it's very uh, voluntary. It's something that comes from your heart. Uh, Simply saying, hey, I want politicians to be uh, uh, generous with other people's money for this or that cause. That doesn't mean that you're uh, generous. That doesn't mean that you're compassionate. Uh, The story of the Good Samaritan uh, basically tells us that what made that Samaritan good was not the, the fact that he called upon the government to help this man in need. Not at all. He'd be known as the good for nothing Samaritan if he'd done that. (laughs) But we call him the good Samaritan because of his own free will, He chose to help a man in need, and he did it with his own resources.
0: Yeah, that's right. And here's another thing that really bugs me when I'm listening to these people. Government is notorious, at least I'll speak for our own government, is notorious for taking gobs of money and wasting it. Do you ever hear these people who advocate that Jesus was a socialist addressing the issue of government waste and how if their system was implemented, it actually would be worse for poor people? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not very often, but maybe instinctively they understand that uh, because when you look at the giving patterns of, uh, of people, uh, you might think, well, if you're a socialist and you think government's the best answer to meet people's needs, well wouldn't then, uh, wouldn't socialists then be writing checks, making donations <laughs> to the Department of Health and Human Services? Right. But of course they don't. No, <laughs> no, nobody does. No. nobody does that. even to the extent a socialist uh gives anything away uh to help people they give it not to the government uh but to uh, their church or to their the, the red cross or the salvation army mm-hmm. so instinctively i think almost everybody realizes if you want to help people you don't launder the money to the government in the uh, before it ever, ever sees uh Uh, Its destination,
0: right? I've often said that I said if these elites really want a socialist, you know, ideal for this country, they are free to send as much money directly to the government as they want. I mean, Jeff Bezos could give up three quarters of his his income and he'd be just fine. So why doesn't you know Jeff Bezos or some of the other people, Bill Gates, just give millions and millions and millions directly to the government? It would reduce my taxes. Perhaps I would like that.
1: Uh, Yeah, but you know, the fact that they don't do that is very uh, revealing. It suggests to me. That their objective is not so much to help people that they say they they want to uh, to help. It's their their main objective is that somebody else get punished. Yeah. Somebody they don't like, some rich guy somewhere. They want to make sure that that person gets punished. Uh, I think a lot of socialists uh, would still be in favor of gigantic tax increases, even if the government took the money and dumped it in the Pacific.
0: No doubt about it. Yeah, you're right. Lawrence Reed, great book, Was Jesus a Socialist? Thank you so much, Lawrence, for being here. Thank you, Janet. All right, you take care. God bless. We'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. It is really hard to overstate the significance of the recent Bostock decision handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court. As the Heritage Foundation pointed out, Justice Neil Gorsuch rewrote Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include sexual orientation and gender identity in the Definition of sex, and this led Justice Samuel Alito to conclude in his dissent that there is only one word for what the court has done today: legislation. Now, the problem for Christians down the road, of course, will be to what degree will we even have religious freedom once the ramifications of the Bostock decision ferret down into our churches and ministries and organizations. There's just a lot to talk about, and also it's Pride Month, and we need to talk a little bit about what's going on there. So we're going to get some thoughts on it all from Peter LaBarbera, president of America. Americans for Truth about homosexuality. Peter, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Janet. Thank you for being here. What was your reaction to Bostock? Because I know this this didn't come probably as a big surprise to you.
2: Well, I was appalled when I heard the news, and then when I started reading the decision, I was it was disgusting to me. I mean that Neil Gorsuch, the heir to Antonin Scalia, the most famous originalist and the and the best jurist we've had on the Supreme Court in decades, that this man would, would replace uh, Scalia. It's incredible because it's all a bunch of, of baloney. It's, a, it's legal ledger domain where they took one statute written in 1964 and completely rewrote it to accommodate homosexuality and even the ridiculous notion of transgenderism whereby a man quote, can become a woman, which is absurd.
0: What, what do you make of the fact that we have seen, you know, Gorsuch doing it is a whole nother subject, because that was such a wallop in the heads of a lot of conservatives who were assured, oh, he'll be very conservative. But what is your concern about the Supreme Court, both with this decision and previously with the Obergefell decision, becoming homosexual activists, at least five of them?
2: Well, and even, and even Kennedy before, before yeah, them, right? Um, it, the whole history now is of Republican justices who promise one thing and then switch. And so uh, what I gathered is that judges uh, have become our politicians, they lie to us. I mean, Roberts and Gorsuch lied to us. When you look back at their confirmation hearings, uh, Roberts said he would, he would be like an, uh, an impartial umpire calling balls and strikes. And yet here he comes down on the side of a complete rewrite of the law. And, and I also should say, Janet, that it, it really it shows how corrupt the legal industry is. Yeah. I mean, anybody with common sense can see how corrupt it is. Sex discrimination refers to treating women and girls differently than boys and men based on their sex. And to, to, make, to, to turn the words around and to sneakily say that now this thing with back in 1964, when nobody even knew what transgenderism was, that somehow that law written back then now applies to this, to firing somebody or hiring somebody based on. Uh, oh, they decide that they're going to be the opposite sex is utterly absurd, and it shows you how corrupt the whole field is.
0: But why has it become so easy for these activists to sway the judiciary? I know it's part and parcel of progressivism, but as you and I have discussed before, we have a lot of Republicans who have gotten on board with the LGBT agenda. Why do you think that is? Do you attribute this mainly to a, a spiritual problem at root, that that we are moving away from the Lord, we're moving away from a Christian biblical world view and when you do that anything can happen
2: absolutely and I think also it's a it's it's a sign of how uh, the fanatical LGBTQ uh, Q movement has really overtaken not just the legal in the legal field, but all institutions practically in the culture. Yeah. And when they got to, and when they took over the media, and now there's no even no other side allowed practically. The media has become part and parcel of the LGBTQ movement. It made it so much easier because then they can say, well, it's really not even accepted anymore the idea of quote unquote discrimination. And so the court relies on the corrupt media. The corrupt media promotes the, the take. Over of the courts and corporations and academia, and it all becomes one big uh, incestuous propaganda mill, and then we become affected. And I still believe the silent majority would oppose this. If they saw what happened in this decision, Janet, they would oppose it. But the average Joe doesn't even hear much of an, of an opposing viewpoint anymore.
0: Well, no, I was reading over at the SCOTUS blog, the Supreme Court blog, this article by Alexander Dushku and Arshan Gunnarsson, who filed amicus briefs on behalf of some of these religious employers involved in the Bostock decision, which incorporated three different cases. What was interesting to me was you had Gorsuch and people who were trying to defend Gorsuch saying to us, people like us, don't worry about it because you still have religious freedom under RIFRA. And I laughed, a belly laugh when I heard that, Peter. I'm sure you probably did too, because I thought when have religious rights ever mattered one whit to gay activists when all they talk about is steamrolling them? The Equality Act, for example, which has already been through uh, you know, the House and approved by the House, not yet signed into law, that takes away all religious freedom. You don't have any religious rights to oppose the gay agenda when it comes to so-called discrimination against gender identity or sexual orientation. How do you see this Boston? Decision playing into that down the road and and the future for our religious freedom. When the how, why would the First Amendment mean anything anymore, Peter? When when the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the word "sex" now means gender identity. What do words even on well, on the page mean anymore?
2: Well, Janet, let's look at one of the cases that was part of this uh, this decision, the the Harris case, which was a funeral, funeral home owned by Christians, and they had a male employee, biological male, identified as male, dressed as a male, and then he decides that. I'm going to live as a woman because that's who I am. They take uh, action against him because they their their log- their very logical reasoning was we we don't want grieving family members to have to basically uh, see this person pretending to be a woman uh, in, in their grieving moment when their relative or the father, sister, brother dies. And that's completely rational. But now that is, quote-unquote, discrimination. That is now being analogized to racial discrimination. In other words, if you don't believe a man can become a woman, you are the equivalent of a racist, of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. It's already in this decision. You better believe they're going to do lawsuits to, to apply this to every aspect of American society.
0: Well, this article at the SCOTUS blog says the court's decision raises hard questions about the freedom of religious organizations and schools to continue their faith-based employment practices. For example, and I'd love to get your take on this. They say Bostock calls into question the distinction between LGBT status and conduct. Repeatedly, the court's opinion refers to homosexuality without acknowledging any difference between the status of being gay or lesbian and conduct based on that status. And so the problem comes up that Bostock's disregard of the status-conduct divide raises troubling questions about the ability of religious employers to continue making compliance with religious conduct standards a condition of employment. Now, I thought that was very significant because it is important to Christian organizations that you not only profess Jesus Christ and you're a professing Christian, but you also live your life in a biblical way. That's always been always been a part of employment with Christian ministries or churches or the like. And yet Bostock didn't work that out. Should we be nervous?
2: Oh, absolutely. And let's look at how the ACLU has applied this for decades now, I believe, because it happened way back when we were fighting the sexual orientation law in Illinois. They said, okay, we're, we're not going to talk about the ministerial exception. In other words, we, we're not going to force you to hire a homosexual minister if you're a Christian church, a Bible-believing Christian church. But let's talk about the secretary, or maybe the janitor. Mm. Well, think about it, Janet. You have a school, you have a Christian school, or maybe you have a, a, a school that affirms uh, historic Western Judeo-Christian teachings on sexuality. And you say, well, we're not going to talk about forcing you to hire a Christian, uh, a teacher who's openly transgender. But I don't think the janitor has anything to do with the mission statement of your school. And so you, you, you basically, they're already looking for end runs around the whole ministerial exception, so-called. You better believe they're going to they're go for the whole kit and caboodle now, because they see this as a tremendous opening. And as Alito said in his very good dissent, to this decision, there are a hundred federal laws that apply the sex discrimination standard, which means we're gonna, you can expect lawsuits on all of those applications of sex discrimination in federal law. And one more thing, Janet, look at the Kavanaugh dissent, although it was very good on how they stretched the original interpretation of the law to write this decision at the end Kavanaugh panders to the LGBTQ lobby himself and, and makes very clear that he is very pro-gay and pro-transgender himself
0: oh yeah congratulating the, the LGBT movement on all its gains I was like oh stop it I mean it was, he said it, there
2: should have been, this should have been done through Congress so we could have a signing ceremony I mean I thought Kavanaugh uh, was supposed to be impartial himself what, yeah.
0: what happened to that it's like he picked up his rainbow pom-poms and started doing cartwheels it was, it was really nauseating we're going to come back Peter LaBarber with us. Stay stay tuned. We'll be back after this. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with membership starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as 199 dollars per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 560 that's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram
1: sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of
0: hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candice to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Peter LaBarbera is with us from Americans for Truth about homosexuality, and we're getting his take on the Bostock decision and the implications, potential implications for churches, for Christian ministries, even for Christian schools. Peter, when you're looking at this decision and reading over what Justice Gorsuch had to say in that opinion, is it your opinion that it could come down to Christian schools being forced to hire gay teachers or trans? Transgender employees? Would we have any protection? Do you think?
2: Oh, I think absolutely. And as I said before, um, it's it's going to they're going to start with the, the the people in the uh, job that they say, well, do, they're not teachers; they're not teaching the mission. Okay, so maybe, but even teachers, of course, the first one, um, you know, as you said, and I think that's a very important point you brought out from that article, uh, Janet. The 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 conduct versus who you are. Let's remember that the entire. Uh, decisions we've seen going way before this, they're always talking about, they talked about animus, in other words, being against people for who they are. Well, that's a philosophical claim, that being homosexual, being transgender, being gay, is who you are. That's entirely a philosophical claim, which Christians have to reject, because there's nothing in the Bible that talks about homosexuality as who you are. Right. It's always about what you do. It's about homosexual conduct. And we know that there are people who've, even in biblical times, who escaped that lifestyle and that sin, and they emerged out of it. But that is not recognized. In fact, remember in the, I think, the Obergefell decision, uh, they talked, they didn't even, they said it was an immutable characteristic. And <laughs> And so we've already seen the judicial branch now being really against the gospel, and, and homosexual lobby, of course, also against the gospel, because Jesus has taken people out of homosexuality, but they don't recognize that and certainly not recognize the law. So how can we expect them to understand what we believe, that Jesus can change people, lift them out of homosexuality, out of transgenderism, if they don't even recognize that biblical teaching?
0: That's a really good point. Well, something else that this article pointed out is Bostock raises questions about about the express statutory exception for religious organizations. A lot of people might not realize this, but there is a section in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 called Section 702A, and it provides that Title VII shall not apply to a religious corporation regarding the employment of individuals of a particular religion to perform work connected with its activities. So theoretically, that ought to support us, but it says Bostock unwittingly cast doubt on this whole thing because it's holdings that Title VII imposed Liability for sex discrimination whenever an employer would not have discharged an employee but for that individual's sex, and that discrimination based on homosexuality or transgender status necessarily entails discrimination based on sex, suggests that certain religious standards might violate Title VII. In other words, it muddies the waters now. So even though you have Section 702A in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, how they decided the Bostock decision is a completely different ball of wax than whatever you know, has been codified. It seems to me, what what is wrong with Congress? They rejected ENDA. I know it went through uh, you know the House and the Senate at different times. It never was enacted as law. But do you believe that Congress ought to take this up anew? We're not going to have any hope in the House, but... How much faith would you have in Congress to be able to actually do its job on this issue? Yeah, I get that. Okay, <laughs> not
2: much faith. Not much faith. I loved what Josh Hawley said, but I was looking immediately. Who's reacting? Where was I? I didn't see the Ted Cruz reaction, but I know it wasn't immediate. Yeah. Um, other people like Senator Thune in South Dakota, really basically saying we can live with this, or it's you know not the outrage that we should have seen. And again, the politicians are allowing the court to do their dirty work. Yes, that's what's happening here. Yes,
0: you're exactly and, right. And, and Grassley was the same. He was terrible, also. But, Janet, there's other applications to this law which is going to be frightening. For example, in California, we see a bill that was
2: trying to equate um, – apparently, if you are uh, – there's a sex uh, uh, offender registry whereby if you're a heterosexual and you have uh, heterosexual sex with somebody who's 10 years – within 10 years from a minor, ages 14 to 17 – and, and the offender is within 10 years of that person's age, they are not put on the sex offenders, offender registry. However, if it's a homosexual man who had sex with a boy that age, he would be put on the registry. Well, guess what? The homosexual lobby is saying, hey, we can't have that distinction based on homosexuality because it's not fair. Well, guess what? They're going to sue under this Bostock decision. Wow. When the average parent would clearly see a difference, it's horrible either way in my view, but I think homosexuality adds another level of evil to predators. If a man molests a boy, they will now say, hey, you can't have any distinction in the law because of this sex discrimination case, and you better believe, Janet, they will be finding every single case they can to apply this bogus new decision To these cases.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right about that. Speaking of which, we should mention to listeners that Mass Resistance reported derailing that terrible bill in the California legislature that would have allowed homosexual adults to prey on children who are 10 years younger, I believe, as you said, without registering as sex offenders. I was concerned about that, and I know you were as well at the time that we first learned of that bill. Apparently, it's dead, at least for now.
2: But all age of consent laws, Janet, you better believe they are going to demand, quote, unquote, equality uh, being applied to these age of consent laws. And so we'll see the de facto uh, results of this reckless decision. And that's why you don't have it done by the courts. That's why you have Congress react to this. And I guess we're going to have to be very active with our legislators to say, you write this wrong because you cannot have such – amazingly powerful decisions come at the whim of two sellout justices, in this case, Roberts and Gorsuch.
0: Totally agree with you. That's great. Switching gears a little bit, I promised that we would talk a little bit about Pride Month. Coronavirus has put a little bit of a damper on the festivities, I guess. But I came across this article. You might have seen this as well. There are all kinds of companies that are filling in the gaps with gay pride gear. And you can just go to the Disney, Rainbow Disney. This this is very heartwarming, I say, with my tongue firmly in cheek. Uh, this was from USA. Today you might not be going to Disneyland anytime soon, but you can still feel the spirit of the brand, a la the Rainbow Disney Collection. Has fifty products to choose from: stuffed animals. They're fun and age appropriate for the whole family. This kind of reminds me of this recent, uh, you know, thing that we've seen with some of these children's TV networks. For example, Sesame Street with some pro Pride Month tweets, and Nickelodeon with some pro Pride Month tweets, and also this this little Disney. Uh, I guess this is a film called Out. Give us an update, if you would, on what's been going on from the, the children's angle during Pride Month.
2: Yeah, uh, Jen, I'm really a glutton for punishment because I watched on Disney Plus, the, the, it's a short animated film, eight minutes, called Out, about two homosexual men. One coming out, quote unquote, coming out to his parents, his his homosexual male partner pushes him to come out to his parents who who, who show up when they're moving their apartment, and so he's forced to do it, and in that short... The the one man kisses the other man in this animated short. Now, is that appropriate for children? How many millions of children are going to see that, and and it's going to push their it, the idea in their impressionable minds that homosexual behavior is is wonderful and and it's all about again this this myth that, that being homosexual is who you are, and this is being pushed on children. Sesame Street put out a gay pride thing. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where the homosexual, bisexual, transgender lobby feels like it is 100% totally acceptable to push their ideology and their uh, their immoral behavior on impressionable children. Yeah. How did we get to this point, and where are the Christians fighting back?
0: I know, and the Drag Queen Story Hours continue to be held in libraries across America with the full support of the ALA. That's my question, too. You know, what we have in our arsenal is something the world does not have, Peter, and that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you could tell Christians what we should be doing right now, what would it be?
2: We have to fight this evil movement with everything we've got, using the powers we have as free Americans, while at the same time reaching out with the love of Christ. You know, I think God has tremendous anger and also sorrow at what's happened in this country. This country with this amazing biblical heritage is now promoting sexual deviancy and gender confusion and gender rebellion to impressionable children. Pastors, step up. Use your your pulpit to teach morality and also reach out with the love of Christ, because Jesus has changed people. 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus Christ has, so many people have, have experienced the grace of God and the grace of Jesus and come out of these immoral lifestyles through Jesus.
0: Right. And and you know, I think some people who will hold back, pastors, for example, who would hold back from offending families that might have a gay son or something like that, how do they know that God doesn't want to save that family and from that situation and that particular relative who might be struggling with homosexuality? Well, you and I know so many people personally who've left that lifestyle behind and they were so grateful to hear the gospel. I think we forget the power of the gospel sometimes when it comes to this issue. We really underestimate the Lord. That's that's my feeling. Yeah,
2: I think we're ashamed of the gospel. How dare we say that Jesus cannot lift somebody with his, in his love and power and mercy out of immorality when we know that Jesus has, has taken murderers and forgiven them? That's right. Mass murderers, even. Yes. I mean, it's just amazing that we would deny the power of Jesus Christ to change lives and to heal people through the wonderful gospel.
0: That's well said. Peter LaBarbera, thank you so much. Americansfortruth.com. Check out Americans for Truth about homosexuality. One of the best groups out there for getting you the truth. And Peter, we're so thankful for you. Thank you for being with us again. Thanks for all you do, Janet. God all bless. right. God bless you too, Peter. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. We're really honored you tune in. Hope you'll do it again. God bless you. We'll see you next time.